Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. It's called, Who Has Bewitched You? (laughs) And uh, it's a scripture, a passage of scripture that the Lord had given me out of Galatians, where um, uh, basically the Galatians had gotten into works. And through the process of this, we've been talking about our salvation is by grace through faith. And a couple of weeks ago, we uh, heard uh, Dale Wrongholt's testimony, and that was powerful. Uh, So good. And um, John had contacted me um, about feeling like the Lord really wanted him to share his testimony. And we were, that was several months ago, uh, I think, at least a month and a half ago. And I wanted to give him time to do that. I had him scheduled both on the same day. But as every person tells me, man, I hope I go 15 minutes, and then they go 45 So, because you don't realize until you get into it, but whether it's 15 or 45, John, would you come? And would you welcome John with me? He's going to share his testimony with us this morning. Yeah. You got her? Nope. That's (laughs) Is this on? It is on. Good. Um, Jim Harpaday prayed for me. My hips hurting for like two years. They don't hurt. That's all I can. Right here. Yeah, I'll talk into that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, after 76 years of life, I've come to the realization that God has used every event, every person, everything in my life preceding this very moment, some of them aren't very good, to bring me to this point in my life and closer to the awareness that he has a purpose for me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Okay, I was born in 1944 in Hobbs, New Mexico. I didn't start with in the beginning, you notice. (laughs) 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 Meanwhile, almost 6,000 years later, (laughs) uh, there was no hospital in Lovington where my parents lived and my grandparents. My dad, let's see, in 1940, my dad started working seismograph in 1947, and we moved all over the country. By the time, I was three then, by the time we settled in Harlem, Montana in 1954, I had uh, lived in 10 different states, or we had lived in 10 different states, and I'd gone to 13 different schools. I don't recommend that. (laughs) We all survive it, but you know what I mean, just uh, there are better ways to raise children, all of you know that. Uh, we moved into Belfouche, South Dakota in 1950, where my brother uh, was born, my future best friend, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, we, um, we moved from there to Wolf Point, where my sister Zan was born, brother Gary was born in Haber, and my younger sister Susie in Billings. Um, we, lived, we spent almost six and a half years in Harlem. Uh, the last eight days of the fourth grade, I guess, until two weeks into my junior year of high school, we moved to Billings. Um, I, I met God, God met me, he found me 
in, when I was 10 years old in a vacation Bible school, a Presbyterian vacation Bible school in Harlem. I was sitting next to my friend, Bunky Baird, who said, I've done this three times. <laughs> I was impressed. <laughs> anyway, I went home immediately. A 10-year-old evangelist approached my parents and was told maybe I should wait till I grow up and know what I'm talking about. End of that. So that was the end of it for many years. Um, lived my life. We moved to Billings, as I said, in 1960. I graduated West High in 1962. Um, at that point, we had a musical. I sang and danced in a musical in, in school and met uh, a young woman, a young blonde lady, who I was very impressed with, had a big crush on for many years. Anyway, she wasn't my girlfriend at the time. Um, <laughs> graduated West High in 62, and then uh, joined the Navy in 63, spent four years there, and married my high school girlfriend during that time. And... Uh, Moved back to Billings and started school at Eastern, not MSUB, but Eastern Montana College. Private joke. <laughs> I could correct it a lot. Uh, went to the Presbyterian Church there, taught sixth grade Sunday school, which is what we're supposed to do. <laughs> um, uh, I had a rough patch there. Got into drugs, alcohol, and we divorced after five years of marriage in 1970. Mostly it was a sense of not knowing who I was. I had no idea. You know, I was just like a blind, blind man without even a cane. Uh, a few years later, um, uh, I stumbled into the Lighthouse, which was an old white and black clapboard building apartment house on the corner of Wyoming and Division, right across from Central High. Uh, the owner of the house, uh, Bernard Dahl, was planning on tearing it down and making a parking lot for his funeral home, which was over on Yellowstone. His, uh, his, his friends at that time, Bob McCrae, Bob Hagstrom, Gene Wiesner, some of those guys were the elders of the, Thursday, the new Thursday night meeting, and they asked him if they could have some, the house for a while, if they'd hold off destroying it for a few years so they could get a Christian young men's house there. And I found that house after it had been established. I stumbled in a bleary haze, and... Um, met the guys in there, and prior to that time, Terry and some other good friends of ours had been kind of bouncing off the Lord from the outside. We read the late great planet Earth, and we'd listened to Jesus Christ Superstar, and you know, he, was, he was leading us with all of that, you know, all of that stuff. I read a book called uh, 666, I think it was, something like that, just, you know, all the things that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988, some of the great books of the time. <laughs> Uh, how to Survive the Coming Crash was another one. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I, I met the Lord in the lighthouse, was delivered of some things, and began a Christian walk. I, I met a young woman who I fell in love with. We married, had three children. My son, Tony, my daughter, Rachel, my daughter, Emily, sitting back there with her son, Zephaniah, Zephy, and I'm so glad they're here. <laughs> I'm so glad they exist. But anyway, um, we were married, what, almost 19 years, and it went through, through this time. My dad was killed in a car wreck in 1973. My mother died of lung cancer in 1990. And it, was in, it was a very dark period. Um, I'd wandered away from the Lord again. I mean, went to church, sang in the choir, did all that, but, you know, not uh, communicating with the Lord. I don't know what that is in me, but it was there, was there. <sighs> so... Um, it was a very dark period. I said, I always remember the Lord, even while doing things that broke my faith and dragged me deeper toward the pit. 
I have to say that. Um, I volunteered a lot of time at Yellowstone Public Radio, and there was a woman there who I knew who was a Christian, a strong Bible-reading, Bible-believing Christian at one time, and she made a, we had, our, we had the Christmas parties for this function. The volunteers at Yellowstone Public Radio had the Christmas party usually in January at somebody's house. And we were around introducing ourselves, and this woman introduced herself as a recovering evangelical. And she pointed at me like, John knows what I'm talking about. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I was living that life. I lived like a recovering evangelical. It was, it was not good. But, you know, it, it, it slapped me right between the eyes. <laughs> you know? I said, wait a minute, I don't want that. <laughs> so, um, I need to read a scripture here, according to the great plan. Hebrews uh, 6, 4 through 8. It's, it's, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. It says, It is impossible to restore an apostate, for once a person has come into God's light and tasted the gifts of the heavenly realm and has received the Holy Spirit and feasted on the good word of God and has entered into the power of the age that is breaking in, if he abandons his faith, there is no use even trying to lead him to repentance. By their sin of apostasy, they, me, we crucify the Son of God and have publicly repudiated him. For men's hearts are just like the soil that drinks up the showers which often fall upon it. Some soil will yield crops as God's blessing upon the field, but in the field, if the field continues to produce only thorns and thistles, a curse hangs over it and it will be burned. Okay, that's pretty heavy stuff. Um, I saw myself in that light. But came into the lighthouse and... I have to read another letter. Uh, it's something Bob, Kay, Bob McKay, um, McRae requested of us. He wrote a history of the lighthouse. God, what he actually did was, was um, uh, ask for letters from people who lived there, had something to do with it. I'll read mine. It's longer than it should be, but I have time, don't I? <laughs> so, it was a dark and stormy night. Well, in my soul, anyway when I heard about a house down on Division that was occupied by Christian men. My friends and I had been playing around the outskirts of God's presence for some time, reading books like The Late Great Planet Earth and others of similar scope, listening to such far-ranging music as Jesus Christ Superstar, and we were looking for something more. My brother Terry and our good friend Warren Merkel had traveled down to Oklahoma looking for the same thing, that heretofore unnamed quality that would change their lives. Of course, none of us had any idea what changes would be wrought in our lives by our searching. God did. The lighthouse was an old two-story clapboard-sided house with a large porch built around the turn of the 19th century at 804 Division um, Street, about two blocks from the Moss Mansion. It was a, used, originally used to house the husband and wife team of the Elliots, who, and Dr. Elliot and his wife, who served at the old St. Vincent's Hospital across the street, which is now Central High. Um, where was I? Oh, Bernard Dahl of Dahl Brown Funeral Chapel bought the house from the Elliott's surviving daughter with the idea of creating more parking space for his growing business. Shortly after the purchase, he was approached by two leaders of the fledgling Billings version of the charismatic movement, Bob Hagstrom and Bob McRae and Gene Wiesner. There was some about letting some young Christian men live there for the purposes of ministry and spiritual growth. After spending the Christmas of 1971 in a drug-clouded haze, I stumbled into the house by then named The Lighthouse and was met by a group of clear-eyed young men with a purpose. All of them were focused on one thing, the person of Jesus Christ. 
No one knew where he might be leading him or even very much about him, but all were determined to follow him wherever he might lead. After a few days and nights of hanging out in the lighthouse and benefiting from the power of the Holy Spirit, they asked me to move in. At that time, I was still living with my drug-using friends, and the lighthouse crew knew that my newfound faith wouldn't last very long back in that situation. The atmosphere of Bible reading, Bible study, constant prayer, singing, and clean living was exactly what I needed, and the Lord knew it, and I moved in. The men of the lighthouse were from every walk of life, all rescued from the road to perdition, and washed in the blood of Jesus. We had bums, me, students, me, skydivers, not me yet, <laughs> construction workers, musicians, philosophers, ne'er-do-wells, and what have you, all transformed by the love of God and walking in his light. Life in the house was a high-speed blend of boarding house, family home, military academy, and personal crisis center. While dealing with the uproar in our own lives, we were sharing God's love with everyone and anyone who came through that door. Homeless people were <clears throat> looking for a handout or help of some kind were given food and many prayers. Some accepted the food, not the prayers, some both. Many people were either led to the Lord or had their lives and faith enriched by him in that old house, and certainly not by the spiritual acuity of the residents. <laughs> Um, but by the Spirit of God. Our spiritual perspicacity um, led us to more singing gospel tunes on the street, having long, exclamation point, discussions of spiritual matters and water fights that began innocently enough and ended with enthusiastic participants dragging water hoses through the house. <laughs> it, was, it was a house, yeah. <laughs> there was always a spirit of festivity flowing through the house, infecting everyone with this segment and creating an atmosphere of reverential glee or something. We envisioned a former bedroom on the main floor as a Christian coffee house where we could play good music, gospel music, serve coffee to passersby, and witness to them. Of course, that required a bit of remodeling. I came home from work one afternoon to find one of the guys there with a sledgehammer in hand and a three-foot hole in the wall. <laughs> we had permission, <laughs> I think, leading to the site of the future coffee house. Bernard Dahl later told me that during the heyday of the house, some people complained to the then chief of police, Gerald Dunbar, about the fact that the residents of the house were teaching spiritual doctrines that disagreed with those that were already established in a certain part of the neighborhood across the street. Dunbar, a friend of the Dahl family, called Bernard and asked, what the heck kind of a place are you running there? Sometime later, a runaway girl came to the house looking for shelter and was referred to the Dahl family. The Dahls graciously offered to help her return home, and in the course of the proceedings, the chief of police in the girl's hometown in Iowa called the chief here again. Chief Dunbar again said, what the heck kind of place are you running there? <laughs> but fortunately, everybody survived. Good thing they were friends. The house had an order in spite of the general cacophony that seemed to be the rule of the day. Elders were chosen by lot from a selection of the general residency, and the lots fell to Dean Emmett, Domingo Hernandez, and John Fowler. The elders of the charismatic assembly laid hands on them, anointed them with oil, and prayed for them, and pronounced them the elders of the lighthouse. Under their guidance and service, we prayed for our families, the city of Billings, the eldership of the house, the leaders of the Christian churches in town, and ourselves, that we might remain daily in the light of his love and grace. Our outreach was mainly to the students of Central High, but we weren't limited to the school. We would at all at times meet downtown to bear witness to the saving grace of Jesus to the populace of Billings. Billings didn't quite know what to do with four or five long-haired hippie-looking individuals <laughs> with a zeal that would embarrass a pro-linebacker singing I'll Fly Away or Amazing Grace. <laughs> 
and passing out tracts or leaflets on the street corners of our fair city. Over the months that the lighthouse existed, many people were led to the Lord, baptized in the Holy Spirit, delivered from demonic control, and generally turned around and backed for God's, headed for God's kingdom, in spite of the initial resistance. Cass and Lita Canooster were missionaries that came through town at that time. And Cass prayed for me and really delivered me from a bunch of stuff the Lord did through, through Cass. Many, many lives were changed during this time, including those of men, the men who lived there. Through the months of close association with God-fearing elders, both in the lighthouse and from the churches, we were transformed from sin-loving beasts to servants of Jesus Christ. We went from the lighthouse to living in the community, some of us marrying, some remaining single, but all with a shared purpose that we did not have uh, before that wooden plaster miracle of 1971 and 72. Okay, as I said, I met my second wife there. Uh, we, our three children are all doing well. I'll tell you about them in a minute. But anyway, the things that happened during that time, we uh, ended up divorcing, um, mostly my disillusionment and loss. It just, it just happens. You know, I, I don't know how to explain it. I, well, I know I do. The devil, the devil gets a hold of you and leads you astray. You take your eyes off Jesus, and, and you, won't, uh, you won't see straight. It's like... Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. <clears throat> um, so, my wife and I divorced, and in 1995, I was still back, back in the world again, uh, met Susan, my wife, at a 1995 Community Messiah Sing. They used to alternate that. One year, um, we, the churches would get together and produce the Messiah. The opposite years, the symphony would do it. So we met in one of those off years. And um, we, um, we, we connected. I asked her out in February. We, we had been, we've been, been together ever since. We dated for about six years. Before we got married, we were a little gun-shy. You can understand that. <laughs> In the meantime, I retired from the post office, um, opened a photo studio downtown, and, and things went along. In 2002, uh, January, or July 17th, I was playing golf with Terry's company's team out at, at uh, Lake Hills Golf Club. Got home, I was taking a nap, and I woke up to a phone call telling me that my son was killed in a motorcycle accident, Tony, in, in uh, 2002, January, as I said, July 17th, day before my birthday. I'll probably remember that the rest of my life. Uh, my daughters here are in town, or one of them is in town, one lives in San Francisco. But anyway, that, that kind of said, it kind of shook me, you know, understandably. A few months later, in November, I had a photo shoot. I was going down our basement stairs to get, um, get a piece of photo gear and I was wearing waffle snobbers, and um, about three steps from the bottom, my right foot caught in the carpet, and as I was going down, this, this quad tendon snapped in the air, and this one, when I landed. So I'm down at the bottom of the stairs, I made an arc sound, my wife thought she'd lost me. <laughs> we were married in 2002, that year. Um, so, I ended up in the hospital, it took uh, four uh, EMPs to get me out of the basement, EMTs, and on a stretcher, <clears throat> and got to the hospital to get Billings Clinic. And I'm lying in the bed in traction, both legs in traction, saying, what? You know, what's going on here? What happened? What happened? 
And I met some Christian nurses who took care of me. Uh, they read to me, read the Bible to me. They, Susan finally brought me my Bible from the house. They prayed for me. And I'll read some more scripture here. This is Psalm 77. It says, I poured my complaint to you, God. I lifted up my voice, shouting out for your help. When I was in deep distress in my day of trouble, I reached out for you with hands stretched out to heaven. Over and over I kept looking for you, God, but your comforting grace was nowhere to be found. As I thought of you, I moaned, God, where are you? I was lying in the hospital bed there. I said, I'm overwhelmed with despair as I wait for your help to arrive. And <clears throat> he said to me, I listened to you at a time of my favor, and on the day when you needed salvation, I came to your aid. And at that point, my life changed. Susan and I lived our lives, we, we, and uh, my, she met the Lord a few years later, 2011, I think, was baptized in Terry's hot tub, which was, was cool. <laughs> Uh, and today, only by his grace, are we living with Jesus in our lives. That's, that's the only thing that keeps us strong. That's true with everybody and anybody. Uh, another scripture here that is applicable, I think. It said, mercy kissed me, even though I used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor of believers. This is, these are Paul's words. And a scorner of what turned out to be true. I was ignorant and didn't know what I was doing. I was flooded with such incredible grace, like a river overflowing its banks, until I was full of faith and love for Jesus and the Anointed One. I can testify that the word is true and deserves to be received by all, for Jesus Christ came into this world to bring sinners back to life, even me, the worst sinner of all. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus Christ could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who would believe in him for eternal life. Because of this, my praises rise to the king of all the universe, who is indestructible, invisible, and full of glory, the only God who is worthy of the highest honors throughout all time, all of time, and throughout the eternity of eternities. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.